We are in the book of Proverbs together. If you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1, the last time we were together, we began the book of Proverbs, and we were uh, investigating the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 1.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So God lets us know right out of the gate that the Proverbs that we have were written by uh, Solomon himself. There are a couple of instances in the scriptures, in Proverbs, that seem to indicate these are the words of Lemuel, for example. Uh, many scholars believe, not all, but many scholars believe that uh, that was uh, Solomon writing under an alias. Uh, that uh, as, as he was writing, he, he took a different slant, perhaps, a King Lemuel is mentioned in Proverbs chapter 30. So uh, most scholars believe this was all Solomon's writings. We know uh, from the last time we were together that he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. Quite a few, the book of uh, Kings lets us know that. And yet we only have 915 of them. So uh, we do not have all the Proverbs of Solomon. There's a hint about that. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 25 for a moment, please. Proverbs chapter 25. Apparently, apparently the Proverbs we do have in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 1 were given to us by uh, some of the wise men in King Hezekiah's court. We see that in Proverbs 25.1. These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. So apparently Hezekiah's men, uh, from all the Proverbs, picked out the 915 which we have. Now, don't be alarmed about that. Remember, this is all under the inspiration of God. This is all God's word. This is all God, what God wanted us to have, when he wanted us to have it, how he wanted us to have it. It's all the word of God. So it isn't as if uh, Hezekiah's men said, well, I think I'll pick that one, I don't like that one, that one's not true, so forget about that one. None of that happened. What they did is just picked out from among the Proverbs that Solomon wrote. Remember, the wisest man on earth became the foolish, most foolish man on earth. You have to take that too, don't you? If you declare yourself to be the wisest and then you do dumb things, you now become the dumbest, don't you? And that's what happened to King Solomon, didn't he? he? He turned away from the very words that God had given him and turned to himself and in his own sinful lifestyle. So we have all the Proverbs God wanted us to have. Were there more? Yes, there were. Were they written by Solomon? Yes, they were. Will we ever get to see them? I hope we do. Uh, but this is what God has given us. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. For example, we don't have the book of the Laodiceans mentioned. We don't have one of the Corinthians letters mentioned. So we don't have everything that, uh, that, that we could have had contained in the Word of God, but we have everything we need, the Scriptures tell us. All things that pertain unto life and to godliness. So why did God give us the book of Proverbs? We looked at this together. We saw that... You cannot interpret the book of Proverbs like you would a New Testament book or even, as Pastor Rob is going through, Old Testament books. It's very difficult because Proverbs is one or two verses in context. Sometimes it may be as many as five, six, seven, but for the most part, there's couplets. 
verse 1 says this, verse 2 completes it or contrasts it. We looked at several of those as contrastive couplets, uh, usually divided up with the word but. Do this, but if you don't, this will happen. Then we saw there were completive uh, contrast as far as the scriptures were concerned. Uh, there was a positive and a negative. If you do this, uh, uh, this will happen, but positively, if you do this, this will happen. And it's all through the book of Proverbs, so we can't interpret a whole section necessarily. We're going to have to look at subject matters as we go through this uh, book of Proverbs. Why are we looking at the book of Proverbs? Well, first of all, it's the word of God. That's why. I mean, we don't need another answer for that. But the, the book of Proverbs gives us social skills. Skills whereby we can live with integrity. It gives us godly skills. It gives us worldly skills. So the book of Proverbs is all about giving us the skill to live in this present ungodly world. It also gave the Old Testament people the skill to live in a transitionary time, a great transitionary time. You recall that these people did not have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He was not there. The pro he was there on the scene, but what I mean is they did not have the permanent indwelling Holy Spirit like you and I have. But God still expected them to read and to obey his word, to understand. Now we, uh, as born-again believers in the New Testament, we have an advantage to these people, and yet, and yet God wants us to make sure we're reading, for what reason? For skillful advantage in an ungodly world. So as we're looking at the book of Proverbs together, we'll see that we, we're going to look at social skills, financial skills, personal discipleship skills, and then discernment in life skills. And we'll, we'll travel through the book of Proverbs. What, what, however, what begins this whole um, book of Proverbs? What's the purpose of it? Well, when Proverbs 1, head back with me, Proverbs 1, 1 and 2, the Proverbs of Solomon the son of David, king of Israel. And what's the purpose, Solomon? Why are you writing these things? To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. We could substitute these words, wisdom and to perceive, with what we call today discernment. Discernment, to discern, to understand, to recognize something. God's word wants to give us spiritual discernment. Here's what God says. Here's what God thinks. Here's what God wants you to do. It's not something I muster up on my own. I wonder what God wants. It's in here. It's right there. There, there it is. All you need to do is read it and obey it. It just comes down to that. And that's our biggest struggle, is it not? I've read through the, uh, the Bible on several different occasions. I've read through the completed Word of God. Uh, it's good to do that, but if you don't obey it, what have you done? What have you done? So God wants us not only to read, but to get the wisdom from God's word to obey. It's applied wisdom. Look at applied wisdom. Look at verses 3 and 4. To receive the instruction of wisdom, righteousness, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge, and discretion. God wants us to realize that we need to grow in Christ. Here the term young man could be young people, not necessarily children, not necessarily 
teenagers, but anyone who's young. And remember what John called us all, his little children, young people. We all are, as we grow, we grow in Christ. None of us have come to the place where we're fully mature, spiritually speaking, and know all things. We all need to continually develop. What will happen then? Look at verse 5. The wise men will hear and will increase learning, and the man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. So God wants us to learn from his scriptures, to develop that skill to live in an ungodly world. And so that's what we plan on doing, Lord willing, applying wisdom to our life to seek out godly wisdom. Not the wisdom of the world. Why? Because the world by, uh, the world by wisdom knew not God. They don't, as smart as some of these people are, as brilliant as they might be, they still don't know the God by their own wisdom. It has to come from the Spirit of God through uh, the Word of God. So let's look at a couple of passages. Keep your hand here. Head with me to Proverbs 22, please. We're to seek out godly wisdom. Proverbs 22, look at verse 17. Bow down thine ear and hear the word of the wise and apply thy heart unto my knowledge. Bring your ear right down there. Listen carefully. Listen very carefully to what I have to say. And then take that, the words of my mouth, Solomon, meaning the scriptures, take those things and apply them to your life so that you'll gain wisdom. Head with me to chapter 23 and verse 12, please. 23, 12. Apply thine heart unto instruction and thy ears to the words of knowledge. See, we have to take this and use it. Apply it to our life. And what's the result of applied wisdom? It will be that we'll gain that knowledge that God wants us to gain to have discernment to live. Another passage on that is, look at Proverbs chapter 14 for a moment in verse 33. Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that has understanding, but that which is in the midst of fools is made known. Wisdom is in the, it rests in the heart of him that has understanding. Now, we have comparative passages in the New Testament, do we not? Wisdom and knowledge. Isn't that what God wants us to gain? Wisdom and knowledge. There's several places in the New Testament. Go with me just to one of them for a moment, please. Head with me to the book of Colossians in chapter 1. Now, it's in Colossians 1, Colossians 3, the book of Ephesians. But you'll see uh, the New Testament, God wants us to gain wisdom and knowledge. But how? Well, if you go to college for a long time, you'll gain wisdom and knowledge. Well, you will, you will, but that is earthly wisdom, earthly knowledge. If you go to a good Bible school, you'll gain spiritual wisdom and spiritual knowledge if you pay attention, right, if you apply it. But there has never been a school in the world that can make you gain wisdom and knowledge that you don't apply yourself to. You have to take what you hear, take what you read, and apply it to your life. And so God lets us know that in Colossians chapter 1. 
Look, if you would, please, Colossians 1, right in verse 9. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard of it, their faith, of course, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's the Spirit of God using the Word of God, applying that to my life as I absorb that, as I, as I say, yes, Lord, this is, this is all about you and your purposes. And as I apply that to my life, it will give me the strength to walk in this present ungodly world. And that's what I need. That's what you need, of course. Now, we call it discernment. Look, head with me to Philippians chapter 1. We call it discernment, and I'm sure you're aware of this. It's not the purpose of our study in um, Proverbs, but notice what we read in, in uh, the book of Philippians chapter 1. And I'd like you to look at verse 11, please. For God is my witness, how greatly I longed after you all in the tender mercies of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 8. Now verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in all knowledge and in all judgment. For what reason, Paul? Why do you want us to grow in knowledge and judgment? That you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, filled, being filled with all the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So we learn, as we learn from God's word, we know that I need to grab onto this because this is God's will, it's God's wisdom, it's God's knowledge, and I need to hold off this. Why? Because that's the world of fleshly wisdom and knowledge. So God gives me the ability to hang on to that which is Christ-like. As far as a New Testament Christian is concerned, to hang on which is, that which is profitable for my life, my spiritual life, my spiritual discernment. So God's word gives us discernment. Head with me to Proverbs chapter 23 for a moment, please. Look at verse 23. What a, what a statement this. By the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The price is above rubies. You buy the truth and sell it not. Now what does that mean? Well, when the world approaches me with its wisdom, no matter how financially secure it may be, no matter how good it sounds, if God's word is contrary to it, I'm sorry. It's not for sale. The truth is not for sale. If unbel when unbelievers come to me and try and entice me with the things of this world, I'm sorry. It's not for sale. I have the truth of God's word. I'm not giving it up. When believers come and try to get me to do something contrary to God's word, I'm sorry. It's not for sale. The truth is not for sale. A little further than that, when my own flesh seeks after something, I've got to be able to determine from the word of God, I'm sorry, it's not for sale. It's the truth of the word of God. And I've got to hang on to that truth. God's word gives me discernment to know. Other than that, I'm flipping all over the place. God's word, remember in the book of Psalms, it makes wise the simple, the naive. 
And that's what we need. We need God's word to understand. So where does the, how does this wisdom begin? Turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. How does, it all, how does it all get started? How does it get started in your life? How did it get started in my life? Proverbs 1.7 tells us where it gets started, doesn't it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's mentioned a couple of times in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. That's how it happened with me. I lived 22 plus years of life seeking my own will, my own way, listening to others, immersed in the sinfulness of the world. I spent the first part of my life there until God's word showed me that I was without Christ, without hope, and headed for eternal damnation. And I knew I was in huge trouble. God's word convicted me of sin, righteousness, and a judgment to come. Isn't that the way it has to start? I, I know this isn't good practice, but don't you have to get someone lost before you can get them saved? Sure you do. They have to know they're a sinner or they don't need a savior, right? The entire world thinks they're all right, don't they? They think they're okay. I mean, they make mistakes. It, it wasn't sin. It was a, a mistake until you show them from God's word. No, no. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Should not perish. Now, why, why would I perish? Because the world is condemned already by God. You need to show them that they're in desperate straits. Then they'll gain, the scriptures tell us, the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning. And once I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, the instruction of God's word now brought me beyond the fleshliness, brought me beyond uh, the old man, the old nature, and showed me what I am to be as a new man, a new creation in Christ Jesus. You've got to get them lost before you can get them saved. God's word warns that. And tells us very clearly that people need to know that he died for their sins and they are sinners without hope headed for eternal damnation. Now, as a New Testament Christian, do I have to uh, have a fear, a dread of God? Well, Pastor Rob covered that this morning. No, but listen, there's a need to be concerned. huh? Isn't that what the book of Hebrews is all about? Warnings, isn't it? Don't do what they did. Don't be like them. Don't walk down that path. That path leads to destruction. So, and, and looking at God's word, I understand that uh, I need to recognize that someday he's going to come back and don't get caught being wicked when he returns. John tells us that, does he not? In the book of 1 John, you don't want to be ashamed at his coming. See? Remember what my mother used to say, when your father gets home, I didn't want to see him come home. Did you? I didn't want to see, I hope he doesn't make it, you know, that type of thing. Well, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming, and that was given as a warning. Make sure you're not ashamed that it's coming. And in that, I don't know about you folks, but there's a certain amount of fear. Huh? A certain amount of fear goes with that. 
So we recognize that one day I'm going to stand before him. The men and I talked about this on Saturday morning uh, during our, our men's prayer meeting together. And uh, this Bema seat of Christ, all of us, every single born-again believer is going to stand before the Bema seat. And, of course, we're all wondering, is it going to be all of us together? And he kind of gives us all rewards at once, and we don't have to. It doesn't appear that way to me. It appears as if every one of us is going to stand before him and give account for the things done in our body. Now, the sin's been paid for. No condemnation. But this is for reward. I'm kind of concerned about that, aren't you? That's why we need to make sure that we're exercising our spiritual gifts confessing our sins, why he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We want to make sure. Why? Because I'm going to stand before him. There's a little bit of fear in that thing, isn't there? I'm not, I don't dread my God. He's just, he's righteous, he's holy in all that he says and does. But God wants us to recognize there's a day coming of accountability. Accountability. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is it not? In my uh, thoughts, it certainly is. So what does God want me to do? Well, God wants me to make sure that I, through the word of God, am obeying his will. First of all, it's what he says. I'm supposed to do that. But secondly, if I do, it's good for me. This is good for me. This is right for me to do. This will lead me down the right path, and my flesh won't grab a hold of the whole business and mess it all up if I'm obeying his will. So head with me to Proverbs, back to Proverbs chapter 1, please. Look at verse 10. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be as an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. These are ornaments of glory. So if I heed the instruction of God's word, it's an ornament of glory. And what will it do? My son, if, sight is, uh, if sin is entice thee, consent not. If they, come, uh, if they say, come with us, let us lay in wait for blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. I'm going to say, no, God's word says something different than that. So God's word is going to give me uh, the discernment to walk with him. What's the problem then? Well, the problem is me. The problem is me. I'm drawn away by my own lusts and enticed at times. The world, the flesh, and the devil love not the world, neither the things that are in the world for all that is in the world. But what happens? Every once in a while we get caught up with that stuff. It happens to all of us. And I don't always walk in the new nature. Sometimes I go back to that old man, the filthy man, corrupt. Every once in a while we go back in that direction. So God wants us to make sure we recognize that God's word is an ornament about us. And when we walk in the power of the Spirit of God, this ornament of the Spirit of God, not only internally, but as we're walking with him Internally and externally, I'm obeying his will, obeying his word. What happens? Then sin isn't a problem any longer. It's not a problem any longer. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So God wants us to make sure our eyes are fixed upon him. So we're going to begin now going through the book of Proverbs. And I want to deal with the first subject 
if I can. We won't be able to complete it tonight. But the subject of the book of Proverbs is called the heart. The heart. Now, when we're looking at this, realize uh, we're not going to get to look at every passage. If we would never get out of here if we didn't look at if we looked at every passage. But you'll find other passages in Proverbs, and of course, there's comparative passages you can look at. But what does God talk about concerning the heart? Well, realize that the heart in the book of Proverbs itself is used 100 times in 31 chapters. 100 times. God wants us to know something about the heart, doesn't he? He wants us to know something. What is the heart? Well, as we look at the heart, examine this subject, we're going to see the heart is really the seat of the inner man. Uh, we, would, we could call it, we call it by name, the soul of man, the inner man, uh, the thinking, the soul, uh, the concepts of man, the conscience of man. It's all wrapped up. It's the real you. It's the person behind the face. It's not this thing we refer to as the, you know, the thing in your chest that pumps so many gallons of blood so many times over your entire life. He's not referring to that physical object, but the thinking of man. It's where the feelings, desires, affections, the intellect, where moods, where everything is conceived in your, your what the scriptures call the heart in your thinking. Um, and I want to look at a couple places, please. Uh, we're coming back to Proverbs, but turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Now, we know, of course, from the scriptures that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Of course, that's uh, very obvious to us because God said that it was. Who knows the heart? Well, God says, I know the heart. And the Lord Jesus is speaking, please, in Gospel of Luke in chapter 6. Look with me, please, at verse 45. Now, there's several places in the scriptures where the Lord Jesus talks about the heart. But notice what he says in verse 45. Luke 6, 45, please. A good man out of, out of the good treasure of his heart bring forth uh, that which is good, and an evil man out of an evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. The abundance of your heart, what you are concentrating on, what you are immersed in, what you're involved in, that's going to come out. It's going to come out. You can only hide it so long. It's going to come pouring out of you. What are you interested in? What are you focused on? If it's God's word, the washing of the word of God will cleanse. See, cleanses, doesn't it? But if you're into worldliness, ungodliness, the things of this world, the world, the flesh, and the devil, John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If that's your heart, that's the direction you're going to go in. So God wants us to recognize his word will direct us and steer us. I have a good example of this. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 7, please. question is, are you going to listen to yourself or are you going to listen to the Lord? That's the question. Are you going to listen to yourself or are you going to listen to the Lord? You are your worst counselor. No one can say something to you dumber than you think sometimes. No one can. God told the nation of Israel, when you go in there to that place, don't touch a thing, don't 
look at a thing, destroy everything. What happened? We're in Joshua chapter 7, please. We have Achan. Achan. He was one of God's people. He was one of God's soldiers, if you would. So what happened? Well, he, when he got in, he uh, entered the, uh, the land they were supposed to capture, and they were defeated horribly because of sin in the camp, God told Joshua. What, did, what was Achan's ex excuse? Notice, please, in verse 21 of, of Joshua chapter 7. We're skipping through a lot. I know it. What happened? When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, and 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. See, he was told, stay, just stay away from that stuff. But what did he do? He got in. He, maybe he captured a home as they were attacking in the Jericho area. Maybe he captured a home. Who knows? But when he got in there, bang, he opens the door. Look, look at that garment. Now, in Israel, I, I've been there a dozen times in Israel, they, they make beautiful garments, all woven with silk and tapestry type things, oh, just gorgeous, beautiful garments. And I can imagine how beautiful this garment looked. Not only is there a garment, he looks over to the right, because he was right-handed, he looks over in the right, and he says, what, look at that, there's a pile of silver there. There's a wedge of gold, a big wedge of gold. This thing weighs several pounds. What happened? I coveted them. I saw them, I coveted them, and I took them. And that's the direction every one of us will go in if we do not pay attention to God's word. You see, you desire, and then you go after it. Am I, am I okay? Is that true? It's true, whether you believe it or not. <laughs> it's true. We all head in a direction. That's why we need God's word to what? Give us discernment. God, you said, uh, that looks beautiful, and it would make me be able to do a lot of things with that money, but you said, stay away from that stuff, and I need to stay away from it. So the heart, the thinking, the thinking of man, the intellect, if you would, uh, the heart hasn't changed since the beginning, right? God had to destroy the whole place right out of the gate, didn't he? Just a, a few hundred years into creation, he had to destroy the whole thing and start all over again because the heart of man was deceitful and wicked. And remember, they, they just went after strange flesh, all kinds of things. So God destroyed it, started all, all over again with, of course, with Noah. So we want to look at what God says about the heart. Back with me now to Proverbs, please. Proverbs chapter 2. What does he say about the heart? And this will be our study for, uh, uh, Lord willing, for a couple of weeks. And I trust you'll want to join. And remember my challenge to you to read through the book of Proverbs twice. Now, uh, Doris mentioned to me this 31 chapters. And uh, so if you had a couple of months, you'd be able to read one chapter a day. But you don't have a couple of months, so you have to add to that. And if you do, read through the book of Proverbs twice. You'll be rewarded by the Lord in heaven. And uh, we'll also give you a baked potato with all the fixings. Now, you can either have a regular potato, which is not good for you, or you can have a sweet potato. But 
you'll get all the fixings if you're willing to read. And the reason I'm doing it is just let's make some fun out of it. I plan on doing some other things as well. But let's, let's have some fun out of reading through this. So what does God want from us? Well, he wants to give us wisdom so that we apply this wisdom to our life. He didn't say, listen, just think about these things and you can forget about them later. We apply this wisdom to our life. Proverbs chapter 2, look with me please at verses 1 and 2. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and lay up my commandments with thee, so that, the, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart unto understanding. See, I have to apply the heart. God is not going to do it for you. You have to apply. It's there. It's available to you. But he's not going to do it for you. You have to now take the spiritual command, the spiritual nourishment, and then flush it through your life, work it through your life. Every one of us is required to do that. You can't just stand back, God, make me spiritual. No, no. You have to become spiritual by application of the Word of God. We're in the Spirit. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ. That's my position. But my condition can be altogether different. My spiritual life could be a train wreck. Why? Because I have not applied God's Word to my life. So the first thing is to apply God's Word to your life. Look at a prepared heart, if you would. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse uh, 23. I want to make sure I have a prepared heart. Why? Because there's a lot of things coming out of this cranium, out of this life that could be uh, destructive. Notice, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Keep thine heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence. This is interesting. God wants your whole body, doesn't he? Notice, keep your heart with all diligence, verse 23. Verse 24, uh, make sure about your lips, uh, verse 25. You, uh, let thine eyes, verse 26, ponder the path of your feet. In verse 27, remove thy foot. God wants the whole body moving in what? His direction. Why? Because the direction of the world's only going to take you down. So with, we have to have a, prayer, a prepared heart, a diligent heart. The term diligence there is armed and guard. Armed and guarding. I'm prepared. I'm armed. Uh, the Lord Jesus uses a term, if someone tried to break into your house, remember he said if, if a man knew of someone coming into the home, uh, he would have stopped that thief. He would have armed himself, stopped the thief from coming into the home. It'd be the same way for you, wouldn't you? You'd call a policeman. If you knew someone was going to break into my house at 9 o'clock tonight, I would want a policeman standing there inside. You know, so when the guy tried to break in, here's the policeman. He's armed and he's guarding. And that's what we need for the heart, a diligent heart, armed and guarded. I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for battle, spiritually speaking, and I'm guarding my heart. I have the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. The, my feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We know one from the book of Ephesians. Now look at chapter 3 and verse 5. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. 
these passages well known to you, of course. Well, well, well let's pick it right up in verse 1. My son, forget not my law, Proverbs 3 and verse 1, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall be added to thee. Of course, that was true of a New Testament Christian, an Old Testament Christian, wasn't it? If they obeyed God's word, they'd live long in the land of Israel. They would not be attacked by individuals from outside. If they honored God, if the nation of honors God, with their life, God would bring prosperity upon them. Uh, we don't receive such promises as that. But you and I know, of course, that God's word will direct us, guide us, and that we will live a life of Christ-likeness no matter how long we live. Even if an enemy attacks, we'll still, we can have a life of Christ-likeness. But for an Old Testament person, they were promised peace and added days. Look at verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them, uh, bind them upon thy neck, write them upon the tables of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes, but fear and depart from evil. So God wants us to recognize that we, we have to have a heart that's trusting him, that's reliant upon him. That's the own understanding. But rather, my understanding is fixed upon what he says. And what he says is always right. Remember Dr. Ernie Schmidt? I think he came here. Do you remember Dr. Schmidt? Wonderful, wonderful man of God. I remember him quoting from someone. And I don't know who it was that he quoted from. But he made this quote. One truth about the Lord Jesus Christ is better than all the truth in the world. It's true. One truth about our Lord Jesus Christ is better than all the truth in the world. No matter how good that stuff may be, his word is better. Always better. Better than anyone can think up. Better than anyone can make up. Better than any man can come up with. God's truth is what I need. That's why I need to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I'm not leaning on my own understanding or anyone else's, by the way. But in all my ways, I need to acknowledge him and trust him and his word. Well, we have one more minute, and uh, we'll have to stop here. But what I'm interested in is Solomon giving us the characteristics of the heart, some, uh, the warnings about some of the characteristics of the heart. One more place, please. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6. The characteristics of the heart. And, and we can see this in all of us in some ways, can we not? Proverbs 6, 16. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. You ever have any trouble with that? A heart that deviseth. We're not talking about immorality. That could be part of the mix for people, and I suppose that it is, but we're talking about a heart that thinks up things. I know what you're thinking. I saw the look on your face. I know what you're thinking. No, you don't. No, you don't. I think he really likes me. You, you don't know that. You don't know that. 
And sometimes our heart can just go berserk with thoughts. The imaginations of the heart are frightening, frightening. And they're right in you. And they're right in me. God wants us to know the heart. And that's what we're going to look at, Lord willing, over the next couple of weeks. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the, the word of God that gives us instruction, that gives us skill to live in an ungodly world. And we as New Testament Christians rely upon the strength of the Spirit of God. We know the Spirit of God using the Word of God will convict us of sin and righteousness and of judgment to come. It will give us the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control that we need. So, Father, as we look at these couplets contained within the book of Proverbs Help us, Lord, to apply them to our life that we might walk a life of Christ-likeness. The world may see Christ in us, the hope of glory. They, they might ask a reason for the hope that is within us. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.